everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. And we are sitting here on a beautifully foggy day here in San Francisco. And I have the luxury of sitting down with Richie Nakano. For some of you, you may know him as the infamous line cook on his social media platform, but he was also the founder and creator of Hopper Ramen. I've known Richie for... A long time. Long time. Yeah. It would date us if we said how long. I mean, a long time. And I think Richie has been one of the few folks out there who has been able to speak his mind freely. It has gotten him in trouble. Definitely. Um, but it has also sparked many a conversation, um, made many a people think. Um, there has been debates, battles, ongoing wars. I think most of those have since moved on and it's been now Richie's focusing on family and making great food and he's working currently with Chef Suite. Mm -hmm. If you were to ask my friends, they would say I'm boring now. You're boring. Yeah. I've gotten we, that a lot. We get boring when we get old, I think. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to fight so much anymore. You know, like, it, <laughs> like it used to be, it used to be like someone says something, you're like, I'm going to get in a fight now. And now I'm like, I'm like, ah. Just gotta let this let this go, you know. I think, you know, a, a long time ago, and then I mean, we can go down a whole road and a whole slew of different battles. Um, you know, we get heated. You know, the social media platform allowed us just to kind of spout off. But there was somebody who said something. We never battle anybody that has a barrel of ink. Most of the time, when those people start throwing stuff out, they have more time energy and ink than we do i've definitely seen that <laughs> firsthand right yeah and it can put both parties in a really bad place yeah i mean you know i think that on social media within your own e uh, echo chamber you'll have people like rallying behind you and be like yeah this is awesome but ultimately you, you, you're like shouting into the void you know and i don't want my kids to like go and find like my twitter archive and be like whoa dad like <laughs> Like, what the fuck was going on with you in like, in like 2014, you know? We all grow and evolve as people and we've all done some things we regret. Some things we'll stand behind 110%, whether we regret them or not. I mean, they're there and they're never going to go away. But I think, you know, you, you did a lot of things. I mean, you were, you were calling people out for bad behavior. You were calling people out for being disrespectful to staff. There was a lot of things that, you know, I think made people realize that the restaurant industry is not just everybody's playground when they come into a restaurant. Well, this industry is funny because people in years past definitely had a thing where they're like, don't say anything bad about anyone. Don't bring up anything, you know, like you keep it all to yourself. Right. And everyone talks shit, just not publicly, you know. Well, I think that depends on what coast you live on. Right. 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 Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's I true. grew up in the East Coast and, you know it was pretty apparent it, you wore and I still to this day wear pretty much everything on my sleeve mm -hmm. and you are the same. Um, granted you're not from the East coast. I was born in Virginia. Yes. Yeah. But you were raised where <laughs> in California. Okay. So yeah. I think there's a different, you know, don't rock the boat mentality than there's rock the boat yeah. from the get go. And I think it, it can definitely create a lot of rife, um, in an industry that doesn't need any more rife. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. So the job is hard enough. So let's not make it harder for Correct. our colleagues and everything. But at the same time, sometimes you see really shitty stuff going on. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're like, you're like, someone should say something about this. Like, this is crazy what's going on. And, um, you know, I, th I think that uh, it's probably uh, harmed my ability to attract followers to my Twitter account because they're like, this guy's always mad about something. But, you um, did have that for a long... I mean, let's be honest. You had that for a long time. Yeah. And there were conversations where I would sit with you and go, dude... Calm it down. Calm it down. Yeah. Lay off. Take a breathe. And sometimes you'd get mad, but then usually like 20 minutes later, you'd pull me aside and say, I never thought about it from that. There was a time where you and Marad in the same evening said that to me. You were both like, you, you got to chill like with what you're doing. And I was like, okay. I was like, if I heard it from one of them... It's one thing, heard it from both of them in the same night. <laughs> it's another thing. Well, I think from my perspective, I saw this incredible raw talent of what you were doing. You were cooking, but you were also not only a provocateur, but you were a, a form of journalism that hadn't quite hit its form yet. Yeah. And, and I saw this value 
that was bigger picture. And I, and I knew if you'd kept throwing gasoline on the fire, the fire was going to burn you too. Yeah. And that was our biggest fear because you have bigger potential and bigger goal and you had bigger dreams and we just didn't want to see you burn down the house before you get to build it. Yeah. I mean, the question I, I came down to was, is, is this helping anybody? You know, and you and you come away from it and you're like, it's not really helping anyone. You know, it's just sort of like being like, this thing sucks and I'm going to throw it out there for everyone to look at. It's better to come back and be like, this thing sucks and here's how we can make this thing better. It's a, it's, it's a kitchen lesson, right? Correct. So you tell your cooks. Yeah. You can't say this is wrong. Do it again, but not teach somebody how to do it properly. Right. If you don't teach somebody or correct the problem and just bitch about it, nothing's going to change. And I think that's part of getting older. Well, so I only think I learned that lesson from my kids because they would come to me and be like, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, okay, how are we going to fix this? You know? And then I started being like, I'm not doing this with my own life, <laughs> you know? Like, so, um, yeah, I definitely learned that from parenting, you know, being like, let's not make things worse. Let's try to present a way to make things better. Or if we're going to present something that sucks, present the absurd side of it rather than the I'm angry about it side, if that makes sense. It makes 100% sense. Yeah. I mean, you, you try to put a little bit of levity, levity to it. At the same time, you're pointing light to it and hopefully somebody listens. There's a lot of absurdity in this industry. So There's a lot of absurdity in the world. Yeah. Right Let's yeah. just be honest. Yeah. So right now you're working with Chef's Feed. Right. Okay. Um, You've stepped out of the restaurant world. Mm -hmm. You are focusing on your kids and Chef's Feed. I know you've been doing a bunch of different events all around. Yep. I see you down with Ryan Lachine in Houston or you're doing events with BJ up in up in Portland. So what are you? What What's your goal right now? What do you want to do and where, where are you driving towards right now? Because there's a lot in that head of yours. Yeah. I mean, so if you were to ask, so my son the other day goes, Dad, do you have a job? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? And he, and he was like, well, you don't like go to work every day. And I was like, I was like, but we have to pay for this house and we have food that we eat and I have to pay for that. You know, um, my job right now is doing editorial content and social media for chef's feed, but then also freelance writing for other publications too. So there's that part of it. Um, and then in terms of like doing the events, it's just me trying to keep my like foot in the restaurant world, you know? Because I don't want to, I still consider myself a chef. I you still, are. I still could definitely walk in a restaurant and run a service and do the whole thing. Um, I think we've all, and pretty much everybody in this community has called you and said, Hey dude, can you cover a shift? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, and I, and I love cooking still. I'm still in love with the restaurant industry, but it's just not the time to be spending, you know, 14 hours in a restaurant for six days a week right now, especially just with, my kids they're at the age where they need dad there so um so what am i right now i'm i'm in i'm in between things i'm in flux right now um i've always written writing has been a part of my career since i started as a line cook way back when hence the name um and i'm gonna keep doing that you know um so i think that maybe whereas i used to be like 60% chef, 40% writer. Maybe that balance is shifted to being 60% writer, 40% chef. Um, but having the unique point of view of knowing what it's like in the kitchen and knowing all these chefs and having them in my phone and stuff like that has made doing the writing part of my job a hundred times easier, you know, cause I think I have access that a lot of people don't have, you know, um, and to be able to get deeper into these conversations with chefs. So I'm hoping that through the stuff that I write over the next course of the year, um, we'll be able to like present in more in depth look at like what it's like to be a chef, especially in 2019, 2020, how difficult it is, why it's difficult, you know, what's weighing on the minds of chefs, things like that. In talking with a lot of these folks right now, and I mean, you, you, you hear from people all the time, especially working with chef's feed and, and now writing and what, what are you hearing out there as someone who, has open restaurants, has worked for many restaurants in San Francisco. What are you hearing from people? What are they asking you? What are they looking for? What, what, is, the, what is the overlying consistent thing you're hearing right now? Everyone's having a hard time right now. Like no one, I, I saw, I recently interviewed 12 chefs for a piece that I'm working on just to get like a broad picture of like what was going on with chefs in, in, in our modern day. Don't right blow now. your story here. I'm not going to blow my story. <laughs> but 
it was interesting because I talked to chefs that run busy, successful restaurants and no one was like, I'm doing great. Everything's great. Everyone was like, there's good days. There's bad days. It's up and down. Staffing's still a nightmare. Um, a lot of people are like, are not drinking as much and not even like full sobriety. They're just like, they're like, I still drink. I just don't drink every day. Um, every single chef talked about how they have to get a workout in every day, which I thought was really interesting. Cause that's something you never heard 10 years ago. No, never. There was few of us that were doing external things. Maybe it was a hunting or a fishing. It was a rarity, to, but it was a rarity to say, I'm going to go to the gym. Right. Right. I mean, you with your cycling was one thing, you know, but you know, I mean like I was running a lot 10 years ago and people thought it was weird, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So, um, it's, it's, it's definitely shifted into like, people are like, I need to take care of myself and I need to, and I need to figure out a way to take care of my family and how I'm going to send my kids to college one day and how am I going to retire one day? There's like all those conversations happening. Um, but, uh, speaking to a couple of like close friends of mine, they're struggling right now. You know, it's like they think the restaurant market is oversaturated. Think people are eating more healthy. So they're not going out to restaurants as much anymore. You know, um, I think people are delivering, getting delivery food or getting their meal boxes or whatever. So all those things are cutting into restaurants bottom line. And, you know, if you look where we are right now, coming up on 2020, if you open a restaurant in 2010, maybe your lease is about to expire, you know? So a lot of them are trying to figure out like what the next move is in terms of like that part of their career. Like, are they going to resign a lease and pay more money and try to find a way to make more money in the restaurant? Are they going to try to move into a different space? Are they going to close the restaurant and go get a job with a fucking, you know, like fish rep or something like that? Like I've heard it all. It's interesting and, and scary. Do you think, and I think, you know, we've talked a bunch about different, different things. And do you think part of it is that we're getting older and, and we're maybe saying some of the same things that are previous, you know, our mentors had said in the past that we just never heard. Or, I mean, I'm sure, let's be honest, I can pretty much tell you that when I started cooking, my chef said the same thing that we're saying now, cooks aren't what they used to be, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They said it. We were a different generation. Now there's a newer generation. And I mean, look, we're all going to say the same things our parents said. Like I say to my son, dude. You call that music, <laughs> right? And I'm sure there are people out there that are like, what is this kid listening to? But yet I think there's, there's that relevance of that. But I do, I question that. I wonder it, you know, because I go through my fits and spurts of the insanity. We all do. Is it overcrowded? Is it, is it underserviced? What is the new work functional work model? What is the live work balance? What is it about being healthy? Is the younger generation trying to stay healthy or are they partying hard? Uh, both, I think. I, like, I, I see both. I see the younger generation. Some kids will go work for a guy like uh, Philip Spear in Austin. And I love Philip. You know, healthy guy, sober, really turned his life around, is doing positive things. And I see the cooks go work for him and they're all trying to live that same lifestyle, you know? But I also see these kids that, you know, are on the line and you can tell that they were out all night and they look like shit. You know, I see those, I see those kids too. It's both. Um, but one thing I know, it's never going to go back to the way it was, No, you know, and chefs that have that in their mind that like, well, one day, you know, we're going to return to the glory days. It's not going to happen. But and were those really glory? No, days? no. It was just a little easier. Is, is all it was. You I think know? it was, it's also, I think in, the, in a lot of people's mind, that so-called glory days, everybody looks, not everybody. Let me rephrase that. I think a lot of people say, man, weren't those moments great when, right? There's a lot of people doing, and I'll use skateboarding as, a, as, as an analogy here. People are looking at all those great photos of old skate contests and the past. Right. And how cool it was to be a part of that momentum when it was growing, and then it died, and then it came back. But look at skating now. Like, there's 11-year-old kids doing McTwists with no pads right. and helmets, and they're ripping and doing things that couldn't even be imagined when I touched the skateboard when the Bones Brigade 
came out. So I use that as an analogy because we're like, is the is were those the glory days, or was it the beginning of something to see it get better? Well, every aspect of the culture has their version of the glory days, right? Like you know, punk music, hip hop, you know, like like yeah. every, like everyone would be like, oh man, you know, like like. 89 to 93 those are the years you know you're like <laughs> you know like and and yeah like you know a lot of great cultural you know material came out of that time but you know progression is what you need right and that's yeah it's a foundation yeah everything it's a, it's building on a foundation yeah right and what is it that people are building on we're building on technique right those were the good old days was about technique Right. Let's just say those were those were the techniques came from prior to what people are saying were the good old days. Right. Like I didn't I didn't ever want to replicate the behavior that I came up in. Granted, I was not the nicest guy either. I'll be honest. I'll say it like but I never once laid a hand. I never once, you know, I would yell when I was upset. Yeah. But I wouldn't berate. Like be demeaning condescend it was just like would you serve that to your parents you know when i yelled the most when i was scared on the line when i was most freaked out on the line like most in the shits that's when my voice got loud you know because you're panicked yeah yeah and you that was that's our insecurities yeah but that stuff how to be a leader and how to you know like come into your shift not hungover and how to save money that stuff was never taught to any cook no you know um, I mean, like even a restaurant would be like, here's your healthcare plan, but good luck figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there was never any support for cooks to kind of step out of where they were and into a better life. You know, it was always like a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it work for yourself. You know, work your way up the ladder, become a chef, develop your own style and survive, you know, and maybe you'll make it to a sustainable point in your career. But yeah, there were no, there were no, there were no parachutes. Right. We right. didn't have, you know, and I, I, I said this the other day, it's like, we choose to provide healthcare for our staff and some people choose not to take mm-hmm. it, um, which I don't understand why, cause we covered the cost, but my wife made a point to say something the other day was when you're a cook, you chose not to pay for healthcare because you thought you were invincible. Right. Right. And, oh, you see that all the time too, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I didn't, I, it was hard for me to register and I started to really sit down and think about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. That extra couple bucks was at that time more important. And then I see that now that's why we chose to give healthcare to our right. staff because now they don't have to worry about paying for it. They just have to go. Yeah. And I think it's a different mentality. It's the game's changed. Yeah, I remember having a meeting um, when I was helping out at Delfina a couple of years ago, and we had a we had a healthcare meeting. And one of the guys was like, "I don't want the the eighty five bucks coming out of my check every month," you know. And I was like, "Just like, dude, it's nothing," you know. I was like, "It's nothing." The, the easiest way to explain it to someone is, and I do this, and a bike helmet's a perfect thing. The bike helmet costs one hundred and fifty bucks. The titanium plate in your head <laughs> costs eighty thousand dollars. To keep your brain in. And ruins your life. Ruins your life. <laughs> yeah. So what's what's a better financial choice? Yeah. A buck 20 and not have a few cocktails or whatever or save your money and then ride your bike safely or pay $80,000 because you didn't have insurance and you didn't wear a helmet. But Chris, I don't look as cool with the helmet on. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's <laughs> why I show up to work and my hair doesn't look cool. Right. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I send, I make people like, oh, you got your helmet today? No, you, you can't ride your bike home. Yeah. Can't yeah. ride your bike home. Well, how am I going to get home? Take a car. Show up with your helmet tomorrow. Dri- right. Driving over here, there was a dude riding one of those go bikes in like a uh, in a suit. No helmet. No helmet. Down. Yeah, what did I come down? Uh, oh, of course, it's a one way street going the wrong yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. Going to get hit head on. So I was like, I was like, I was like <laughs> buddy, was like you're on the wrong street, man. <laughs> so you think? I mean, what what are you seeing now? Like, what is it that? I mean, you've you've opened. You opened Hoppa. Mm-hmm. We all know what happened. Yep. I mean, I don't know if you're even allowed to talk about that anymore. Like, yeah, I mean, I could talk about it. I mean, like, w- what I think about is what if that had never happened? What if Hoppa was still open? Like, where would I be right now? You know, what would be happening in the restaurant? 
um, what would my relationship with my kids be like? You know? Um, now you're making me feel like a shitty dad. No, Thanks. no. You see, you see your kid all the time. <laughs> you take your kid on fun trips and stuff. My kids don't go anywhere. <laughs> um, I just, I think about stuff like that a lot. And I wonder where my health would be, you know? Um, so as, as shitty as everything was that happened around Hoppe, it did open all these other doors for me, you know? Um, and led me down into this like other area of my life that's been good, you know? I mean, it's not perfect, but it's good. So um, what I'm seeing out there is people are having a hard time and everyone's trying to focus more on themselves and more on their families and close friends, it's kind of like dialing back their networks a little bit, you know, and not allowing so much access to themselves to everybody, you know, and it's a weird balance because chefs also need to stay relevant. Right. And I hate saying that but it's true and you hear it from everybody everyone's like i have to go and do these food and wine events or i have to go and do you know no kid hungry i have to go do and this i have to be in this magazine i have to pay this pr company this much money because they want they have to keep the profile up in order to keep the restaurant busy you know um and i think just everyone's trying to find balance in their lives and i think for most of us we didn't have that and we thought we didn't need it you know um for years when I was running Hoppe, when we were at the farmer's market, I, I felt like I thrived on chaos, you know, like I would even put myself, I would choose to put myself into chaotic positions, you know, and, um, cause I, cause it felt like a comfort blanket to me. And then you get a little older and you're like, that was a really shitty way to live your life. Like, like, what were you doing to yourself? You know, just stressing yourself out. So I don't have hair anymore, you know? So I have all these grays in my beard. <laughs> I think that's a, a that's a really good point. The other day, somebody asked me, "Where is the majority of the folks in our industry from? What are their backgrounds? What are their histories?" Because there's something to be said for living in chaos, yeah, for thriving in almost constant insanity, right? It's like. What are you, what kind of lifestyle did you grow up in that allows that to make you feel okay? Right. What is it that makes those moments be normal? And when they're not normal, you seek that out. Well, it's like what we talked about the other day when I interviewed you, when you were talking about when you were doing food network and then coming back to the restaurant and like, you know, basically getting off the plane and going straight into work, you know, and working service, that's chaos. That's a chaotic life right there. You know, it is, like, but I think part of it's guilt. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we have this guilt. Um, but what is it that drives us to seek that consistently? I mean, I think that part of it's the adrenaline rush is it's it's fun, you know, um, and as chefs, we like to push ourselves to, you know, to our limits, um, often in the most unhealthy of ways, you know, um, I think there's a sense. I think there's a part of it that's trying to be macho, you know. Um, I think it's a try a part of it's, it's trying to look good in front of our peers, you know, like, Oh well, yeah, I can do the event and I'm going to go back tonight and I'm going to work service and I'm going to be at the farmer's market the day after that at 7 AM. And you know, like, well, wow, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, was it macho? Was it making a point? Was it trying to get to where we thought we had to be? Was it, was it a, I don't think there's any direct path to get where anybody wanted to be, but I think that in their mind, at least in my mind, I thought that that was the way to get there. I think, I think that you, that we look at it as the rungs on the ladder to being the best chef you can be. You know, it's like, well, if I check this box and this box and this box, then I am on my way to being the best version of a chef that I can be. And what you don't realize is the toll it's taking on you being the best person you can be, you know, and it starts to really like, you know, you, you lose the balance, right? So you, so professionally things are going great, but personally maybe things are going really shitty or maybe internally like you're losing it, you know? So I think it's, I think that that's something that's good as people are actually like looking at themselves now and looking at their habits and how they're working and how they're living their lives and are making adjustments to it, you know? Um, but 
you know, talking about like the having the part of your life that's public. Uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday and he was saying that he feels like unless you get constant press, you can't have the restaurant that's booked out every single night, which I don't necessarily believe in because like, I don't know. It's, that's actually a very, very interesting thought process because I think the dynamic of the industry now has changed. Um, what drives, what drives the restaurant to be busy? Is it the quality of what you're producing? Is it the environment in which the guest sits down and, and in the way that they're treated? I think it's, it's a, it's a culmination of everything, right? It's the, the product, the experience, the room, the service. Um, are people paying attention to what you're doing in the restaurant? Is it part of media? But at the same time, I mean, I don't think that's the end all be all, but I definitely do agree that there are bumps in business when you're on a top list. Right. Like, right. And I think that scares people. I mean, there is definitely the lemming mentality. And there's so many lists, lists. now, <laughs> you know, what was, I think, uh, just the other day was, or yesterday was the 50 best, yep. right? Yep. And then there's the beard list mm -hmm. and then there's, there's a million lists and is life about chasing lists and stars and awards or is life about making smiles Yeah. and taste memories? I keep saying that. I mean, people are probably going to be like, oh God, shut the hell up about taste memories, but I think that's really powerful. Like I, 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 I have my moments where things I remember and experiences, and I'm sure you have thousands of them as well. I have one from this restaurant, that, <laughs> that pot pie. <laughs> I have a, I have one from sitting down at that bar right down there downstairs. But that's, that's powerful. Like I can't, like, I can't, I think the moment you start chasing stars and chasing lists and chasing you've, we're not meant to chase. We're meant to deliver. Yeah. I mean, for sure. So here's the thing though. So I have a friend who runs a great restaurant, runs two great restaurants and he's a very talented chef. He's a nice guy and he has given back to his community. He's done volunteer work um, internationally and he felt like this year was his year. He was going to get the beard shortlist and he didn't get it. And now he's in this mode where he feels like, like, well, what did I do all this stuff for? You know, like, like I've been working my ass off and doing all the right things and I still can't get the recognition that I want. And I asked him, I said, like, why do you want it so bad? You know? And, and he was like, it's just been my aspiration. My entire career is, get, is to get this, uh, this nomination from beard. And he was on the short list, just didn't make, or he was on the long list, didn't make the short list though. And, you know, is that where we are? Like in terms of like the way people are being affected by growing up with like media all in their face all the time. And just like our cooks starting their careers now saying like one day I want to have three Michelin stars or one day I want to, you know, have a fucking TV show like Bourdain. I hear that shit all the time, you know? There will never be another no. Bourdain show. No. Nothing, anything like it. Please don't anybody try to do it. You uh, know what we got in the void of Bourdain is we got Samin's show. Samin's great. Which is great. You Roy's, know? Roy's show, Breaking yeah. Bread, brilliant. I think those are... There's, there's things happening in the world that I don't have answers for. And I never will. I mean, I don't know what the next generation is when they wake up. Are they, are they saying... You know, like you said, are they going just for stars? Well, I, mean, I don't think it's just stars. What I see is running that chef's feed Instagram account is people DMing. So right now in there, there's 90 in the inbox for message requests. It says 99 plus. That means there's over 100 people that have DM'd that account, you know, and sometimes it's just them saying like, we love your content. Sometimes they're being like, fuck you guys. Sometimes it's people, oftentimes it's people saying like, can you repost my stuff? Can you feature me on your account? You know, can I come do your events? Stuff like that. And that is something that we never did or had, you know, I never reached out for anything. No. The only thing I ever reached out for was asking to be on Iron Chef, but that's Iron Chef America, but that's how you had to do it. Yeah, I, I remember emailing Alex at ideas and food 
asking about a technique and you never email me back. <laughs> and I give him shit about it all the time. I'm like, why don't you email me back, dude? Like, He's like the nicest guy. Yeah. And that's when there was blogs, folks, for those of you who don't know what a <laughs> right. blog is. That yeah, was like 2006-ish, I think. That was, but think about that. Alex and Aki, ideas and food, way out of the curve. Yeah, yeah. Talk about controlling messaging, media, not media, but like, it was about cooking. Well, Sean Brock's blog back then too. Like no one knew what the fuck, you know, his restaurant was or like what he was doing. Yep. Um, but it's, it's shifted from a kid writing a blog like me and hoping that someone might read it to kids wanting to be famous now, you know, and contacting a media company and being like, feature me on your website. And it's just, it's a different... People are going to call, you do realize people are going to call us old grumpy men for saying this. You know, I, I see it with my kids, right? Like the kids have TikTok. You know about TikTok? Does Easton have TikTok? I don't know what TikTok is. It's like a video social network. People like make these like silly videos on there and post them and they get millions of views. It's crazy. We should start doing that right now. I've, right. It's going to make right. me famous. So <laughs> I have no idea what it is. I can't, I can't keep up with let alone like the lingo that's all my kid wants to do on his summer break he's like can we make a tiktok video and i'm like oh fuck man like again <laughs> I, I don't i mean but you know we didn't have we didn't have this technology at our fingertips right right so the access to things for young cooks now and young chefs is exponential Right. Like when we were younger, we couldn't go online and look at a menu in Europe. Right. Okay. We had to get it from somebody who'd been there. Or order some obscure out of print cookbook that yeah. was in a different language. Yeah. And yeah. there was no translation app. It was a dictionary <laughs> looking yeah. word for word. Yeah. It, it And look, is that the good old days? No, it was hard. Yeah. But I remember being looking and trying to figure out like, okay, wait for the Michelin Guide to come out because that's how I'm going to figure out where to eat in Europe. But it kept us engaged though. It kept you engaged. It, you know, it kept you really engaged in the food world. Not like now where it's like, oh, I'll scroll Twitter and see if And you're overdone. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's really, you know, we had... Uh, Food Arts, the magazine. You had you. That was you coveted getting that magazine yeah. because if it showed up at the restaurant and one of the other cooks got a hold of it before you, you never got to see it. Right. Because right. that was all the news, like who's opening new stuff, uh, menus, um, uh, hits and flops. Remember hits yeah. and flops? That yeah. was genius. Like this was dish. The guest didn't really get it, but it was like, all right, we made a stinky dish. And we <laughs> remember when, like the art culinaire would show up at the restaurant. Oh like, my god, it was like a fist fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody wanted to see it. Now, now they're based here in the Bay Area. But you know, but, and you can just go on Instagram and see content like that all day. You know, it went from really, and I, I think there was something to be said for being not surrounded with so much that spawned creativity, right? Spawned thought process. Right. Where now we see a lot of emulation. I mean, look. I think uh, emulation is there's we've all done it. We've all, you know, something inspired us and we can't get our head out of the way to make it be different enough to be not be like what we saw. Right. Right. I'm just as guilty of that as anybody else. But also it was a mother of invention, the mother of a stimulation because we were like, overwhelmed with like trying to think like what could be really what can i do with this i don't know what to do i mean all right so you are an encyclopedia of classical technique knowledge when you teach that stuff to cooks do you feel like like they're like yeah this is awesome and like i'm engaged in this and i'm learning or are they like well chef we could just sous vide it and you know like fucking throw it on the flat top i think there's a lot more interest I think people that come to work for us here at Costco, specifically here, yeah. specifically here at Acacia House, are and Jack Rabbit are looking for that primal cooking over fire, 
using a wood oven, using bits of like tuna, using tuna collar or using different cuts, but also really looking to see something different. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I do use some sous vide technology, um, but I do recall being in Encanto and not using it and being told by cooks that were staging or interviewing that I was invalid (laughs) and not, not, uh, well, what do they say? I'm not up to speed on what's what's true cooking. Right. And I think everything has its time and place. It really does. But, you know, how many cooks can you ask to make a perfect threefold omelet like right now and can do it? I think I think it's all about the education and pushing the education to make people better. Yeah. And we're not going to, you know, nobody's a bad cook. I think everybody can become a great cook. It's how much aspiration and drive they have to learn and it's how much time that we spend with them to grow them and i think there is no bad answer mm-hmm. you know questions are important what there is no dumb question right yeah yeah as long as they're engaged in asking a question right right you can teach you can teach a monkey to cook you can't teach a monkey to go home and dream yeah. about it yeah i think that's a really uh, an important thing and i think you know when you you brought the craziest noodle machine I'd ever seen in my life. Ramen noodle machine. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I think the thing was temperamental. Yes, but <laughs> as temperamental as it was, you were doing something that was new. Yeah. New yeah. to me. And I think that to me is what drives me as a chef, what drove you as a chef was to learn. Well, I think that's the most important part is being inspired by your peers, right? You have to like, you have to get out there and you have to go talk to your friends because you would come to the restaurant and it would sit right there next to me in the kitchen and we would just chat, you know, you get done with service here, you'd ride your bike over there and we'd just sit there and chat, you know, and it's those moments like that, that are even better than looking at a cookbook or looking at the internet or reading a recipe. It's like that interaction and just talking to a person where you gain perspective into how to manage your kitchen or what's great at the farmer's market or just like what's going on in people's heads in the industry in general, you know? I think that's like the conversations that were had at the market, the new product, the, did you see this? Everybody's running to try something new and taste this. It's over there. Yeah. Like that part of what we do is what to me is what made it special. And the conversations that you and I would have and the conversations that we would all share with each other. I think they're, I, I'm, I don't go to that particular market as much mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, it's pretty few and far between, but I go to the one in my neighborhood. I go to different ones now, but um, I do miss those, those times. But I do agree that there's like we just talked about before is there's less of that now because we are working more towards not being out as late, right? balancing, focusing on tasks at hand instead of it being, I'm going to go eat two giant bowls of ramen at 12 o'clock and the next morning get up super early. Well, I liked those days because you were kind of going through it over here and I was really going through it over there. (laughs) And, you know, I, I felt less like out on an Island, you know? So it was nice. And I think there's, there's, like I said, you push the envelope. Constantly. Some people didn't like that. But pushing the envelope creates a conversation. Creating a conversation sometimes gets answers. Yeah. And we don't always have to agree with that. I mean, throwing gas bottles of gasoline at a very small fire to make the fire bigger doesn't always get the answer we're looking right. for. And I think you've changed. I've changed. Like, look, I mean, we all know that as we get older, we learn life's lessons. Yeah. And sometimes we say, damn, I wish I'd learned that when I was a kid. Yeah. Or when I was five years ago. Well, that, you know, but that's the thing though, is like, like we were talking about earlier about the good old days. Everyone has that. Like you and I can say that, like we had good old days. There were good moments, but I think I'm ha- I'm happier now than I was then. And I think you're happier now than you were then. I, I think I'm a little more stressed out now. Yeah. But I am happy. I've always been happy. I mean, I've been broken, but un- and now unbroken. But I think there's always, there's like things I think about. 
right? Like I tell, and I say this a lot, and you and I talked about this the other day, was the revel in the moments when you're just cooking. Right. And you don't have the responsibility of payroll, uh, food costs. Schedule requests. Schedule requests, (laughs) rent, unclogging toilets. It's literally like show up, go to work, have your mise en place list. Yeah. And revel in those moments of learning to work with your team and building a bond of cooking because everybody's like, I want to be him. I want to be that sous chef. And then they get that sous chef, Joel, and it's like, I'm going to take your job and you're the boss. And then you get there and you're like, what, what happened? All yeah. Uh, it, uh, what do you mean I've got to go to a P&L meeting? What do you mean I got to sit down for this? What do you mean? And it's that's a hard transition. Nobody prepares you for that and nobody prepared you that when you opened Hopper, right? The closest thing I got to that, to being prepared was uh, when I was leaving NOPA, Lawrence pulled me aside and goes like, you know, you're not one of the the cooks anymore. You know, like you're the boss now and it's going to be very lonely for you at times. And he was fucking right, man. You know, it was super lonely sometimes, especially when like they're all mad at me because I just like, you know, had to like lay into them for like not rotating product or for the way the service went at the market or whatever it was. And all the cooks are like, kind of like, you know, moping around (laughs) and it's just me. (laughs) So yeah, but you, you adjust to it, you know, it's a learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. Do you wish in, and I, do you wish that someone had mentored you towards those skills that you had had somebody that say, okay, when you trans, when you move into this bigger role, these are the things that are going to be expected of you, and this yeah. is how you handle these things. I mean, as a young cook, I wish I had somebody do De- that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely wish I had that. And there was for sure a period of my life where I resented uh, Lawrence and Jeff at Nopa because I felt like they didn't do that for me. But I also acted like I fucking had it all figured out. You know what I mean? And I never went and asked for help from them. You know what I'm saying? Like, and mm-hmm. I think that if I had gone to them and I was like, listen, I need to sit down with you guys and get help and, you know, help sort this out. I mean, fucking Stuart went in there and talked to them, you know, uh, Ravi went in there and talked to them. And like, why, why did I think I was too good to go and ask the people I worked for for three years for help with that? You know? So, um, pride gets in our way a lot. In yeah. Business. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're, I'm glad we're seeing that change now. Yeah. I think there's definitely been a, a lot of soul searching for a lot of people and a lot of, man, maybe I could change the dynamic a little bit. Well, you know, I was, you know, I'm writing that blog back in 2008, 2009, and I'm still just a sous chef level guy, you know? Um, and I had some insights into like kitchen life and everything like that, but I was not, I, I didn't have the insight I have now, you know? And at the same time, I'm getting people like emailing me every week. And they're like, oh, man, thanks for your blog. It's so helpful. It's helped me with all these aspects of my job and my career. I still get people that reach out and say stuff like that. So at that age, being 29 years old and thinking I was just the hottest shit in the world, you know, it's not surprising to me that I didn't look for more mentoring and more help because I, I did think I had it figured out. I mean, that first year I ran Hoppa, I think our food sucked, you know. And I didn't listen to anybody like suggestions, customer complaints. And I was like, fuck you, fuck everyone. No one, no one knows as, as much as I know about this. And it wasn't until we got through that first year that I was like, man, that blurred by. And I think we put out some food that wasn't our best food, you know, and ran some services that weren't very smooth. And like, we need to fix all of this, you know, but it took grinding through a shitty year to figure that out, to gain that insight, you know? So Hoping not to make mistakes like that anymore. <laughs> but I think that's, you just said something that's, that's, I mean, what you just said is I think what a lot of people really need to hear, which is sometimes self-reflection goes, is really big. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, sometimes it takes getting out of your own way to succeed. That's that. And that's the thing is like the best stories you can hear from someone or the genuine ones where they're like, they're like, I made a lot of mistakes and I it took me a long time to realize that. And now I've, I'm at this other place in my life rather than the super tailored, like, you know, I'm a self-taught chef and I fucking know everything and I'm 
you know, the best guy in the world. And I invented this style of cooking, you know, I see guys like that. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck man. Like, you know, is that guy mentoring anybody or teaching anybody? Is he just out there on his own, you know, like for himself? Yeah. I mean, are you rowing the boat by yourself? Or are you rowing the boat with an army of people pulling the oars in the same direction? Right. I think there's, there's definitely a lot of that right now. There's a lot of people trying to change the dynamic of how the restaurant's being run, how people are working together, growing and evolving. And it's, it's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. It's a hard lesson to self-evaluate oneself. Nobody likes hearing what they do wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think you see chefs now starting to give more shine to their teams and trying to like, you know, feature the people below them a little bit more and give them more like a push, you know, in the right direction. I've even heard that. Um, I even heard that about like John Waxman, you know, and he's like, and he's a generation above you, you know, Uh, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's been, he's been doing it for years. Well, perfect example. Look at Renee, uh, just yesterday, he sent who is his business partner, the head porter, to the fifty best to receive their award. Yeah, it's nice, right? I think that's amazing. Yeah, like you know, he's a partner in Noma. Yeah, it's not like okay, you're just the dishwasher or the head porter. You are a partner in this business, and I think that's that's such a powerful message to be communicated to the world. I have a I have a Renee Redzepi story for you. So it was. Oh, man, it must have been like 2012, I'd say. So we're like two years in at the farmer's market. And he shows up at the ferry building with Daniel Patterson. And they come to the back of the stand. And I'm like, oh, shit. And so I ran over there. And Daniel introduces us. And, the, you know, they're like, can we get some ramen? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I gave them ramen. And he stepped inside the barriers. They had this barriers up because of our propane setup, you know. Yeah. And he stepped inside the barrier. And he was eating. And he was getting ramen all over this white shirt that he was wearing. And I was like, oh, man. The shirt's going to be ruined with like, you know, grease stains on it. And casually he goes, I wish I had something like this (laughs) to my tent. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I was like, you have one of the best restaurants in the world. What are you talking about? You want a tent at a farmer's market? He's like, this is really nice. You know, he's like, he's like, you just run this with like your friends or something. And I was like, yeah, something like that. (laughs) It's, it's amazing how, you know, the perception of what Renee was. And the perception of what Renee is. Yeah. Yeah. People get put on a pedestal and look, he admits he was a monster and mean and to get where he was. And um, I think there's a lot of people that do amazing things. There's some of the most amazing chefs in the world never cook anywhere other than their home. Right. Right. And I think we're just embrace the moments, you know, of like dining and food is one of those things that is a luxury. Mm hmm. And we have to make people feel special when they walk in the doors. It's it's they're escaping the outside world and they're coming inside to get away. They don't want to hear about what's going on out there. They're coming in to enjoy the experience with their friends or their family or their loved ones. And it's our job to make them smile. Right. And I think, you know, his his way of doing that is very different from what you were doing at Hoppe at the market to what I do here, to what Daniel Patterson does to everybody. Everybody has a different version of giving somebody that experience. And I think it's powerful. Yeah. It's life changing. I think, you know, I mean, like I look at the impact it just had on my kids, like their experience eating at restaurants and, you know, being around the hospitality industry and how it's changed the way that they perceive how food should be and how, it means to be how to behave at a table, you know, um, how to talk to a waiter, you know, saying thank you, things like that. I think that um, I think it's a, an integral part of just being a human being, you know, is experiencing hospitality and food as much as you can. What do you see as the next big change in our industry right now? Because you're seeing a lot. You're seeing you've and you're hearing a lot by being in Chef's Feed. You're you're. There's a million things that are coming to you guys on a daily basis. Like you said, you know, your DM box is filled with, you know, check me out, check me out. What do you see the next direction as? I mean, in terms of like the, the younger generation and like cooks asking to be featured and all this other shit, I think that's going to stay. But I think as social media shifts, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram aren't going to be around forever. And Twitter is not going to be around forever, you know. 
So that's going to shift in some other weird direction. And I'm not clear what that is going to look like yet in terms of the industry itself. Um, I, as things, as time goes on and we have to make, uh, our wages more competitive and, you know, healthcare and, um, providing like a sustainable, like living situation for cooks and things like that. I think that the price of dining out is going to go up a lot or restaurants are going to have to close. And I think that the consumer doesn't see that yet. I I think the people that, uh, that are out there and and look at the restaurant industry and they're like, Oh, you know, they should pay a $15 minimum wage. Totally. Definitely. They should pay for healthcare. Definitely. Um, aren't ready to see the menu on the price go up to support that, you know? Um, but with how expensive it is to run restaurants these days and how difficult it is and how saturated the markets are, there's going to have to be some sort of shift in that direction if we're going to keep things sustainable, you know? Um, and my concern about that is that it just makes this divide between people that can afford to eat at a McDonald's versus can afford to eat like a nice restaurant that much wider. You know, um, I worry about that a lot. They're not being so much of a middle anymore, you know? So it's going to be an interesting next few years to see what happens, especially, I mean, fuck man, like if Trump gets reelected and what's life going to be like for an immigrant cook in this, in this country, you know, I worry about that kind of stuff a lot too. So, um, I think that you're going to see less of people trying to like branch out super hard and aggressive and like open like, you know, seven different restaurants. Um, unless you're like Michael Mina, I guess, <laughs> you know, I think that you're going to see less and less of that and people trying to kind of consolidate their lives and make things a little simpler for them, for themselves and for their staffs really, you know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, you know, Michael has been able to do that in a successful functional business model where his team people gravitate towards Michael to do really great things. But I do agree it's getting to be stressful. The cost of goods for a restaurant have increased year by year uh, pretty dramatically, not not even speaking about the cost of wage for employment. Um, The everyday costs have gone up. Cost of, let's just, gas, electricity, water, uh, there's delivery fees, there's cost of goods have increased. The cost to the consumer as a dish has not gone up. No, no. Comparative, the numbers are completely skewed. Right. And I do agree that there will be a, a dynamic shift because people don't want to pay the difference. Yeah. How many times have you heard, oh my God, that's so expensive? That's the first thing people say, you know, like the, the menu goes up on Eater and someone screenshots it and posts it on Twitter and they're like they're like look at this you know bullshit look how expensive this is you know but i think there's there's definitely the difference when people you have to look at yes here is a cost of an item let's just use chicken right so you get an organic chicken per pound but it's not just the per pound of the chicken it's like nobody wants to eat it on the bone so you have to debone it mm-hmm. so then the cost on the plate goes up because you're removing the bones so there's a lot of factors that go into what it gets to be on the plate. You know, there's all the, the prep work, the, the, the manpower, um, the time, the energy, plus the rent. The building you're sitting in. The building you're yeah. sitting in is all part of the costs to putting something to the bottom line. Yeah. And I definitely think there's a, a discrepancy in understanding those differences. I wonder, and I think I know the answer to this, but I wonder if, restaurant real estate is going to cool off at some point if at some point restaurateurs are going to be like i can't afford to open this restaurant and pay this rent every month you know like i need better terms on the lease you know i wonder if that is going to be a thing that shifts at some point i feel like it's not but somebody said something interesting to me that back in the day it used to be this restaurant's going out of business somebody would go into that space Mm -hmm. now it's hey check out this cool bank i'm going to turn this into a restaurant which is change of use, build in the hoods. Prior to that, it was, this was a restaurant. It's right. got everything there. It's, you know, so times are changed and you're having new construction going in. That's promising tenants that are above it, that'll have restaurants below. So there's, there's a lot of changes. Something I've thought about a lot is with the chase center opening here this fall, 
um, which is what? I mean, it's like a mile from here or something. Not that far. Um, and all these restaurants that opened over there before they even started construction over there. And they must have, I, I know that they got great terms because they were opening in these condos that were empty on the ground floor, you know? And what I wonder is in 10 years when those leases are up, what happens to the real estate over there? And like, you know, do you end up having like 30 Chipotle's in that neighborhood instead of having like real independently owned restaurants? Who knows? Especially in this town, you know? I think about that a lot. I think about San Francisco specifically a lot. Like, are there going to be cooks left anymore? Are there going to be, you know, people who are operating independent businesses that can afford to do it? You know, Um, is all the tech money going to go into places like the robot quinoa place? You know, like instead of going. There's a robot quinoa place. There's a robot quinoa place. I don't know if it's like robot, but like you go and you don't interact with the human. You go and like press a button and your quinoa like shows up in this little like box in front of you. The other day I went down. I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon. I went down and I was on my way to crazy school and um, there's a, an automated coffee, like a robot coffee thing, yeah. right? Not like a walk up Coca-Cola dispenser, like, you know, soda machine, like it's a robot and it pours the coffee, but yet there was an attendant. So it's really not <laughs> human free. And I was like, there was, I just wanted to see how it worked. And I said, Hey, can I get an Americana with an extra shot in it? And the guy looks at me, the guy, I was trying to figure it out. The gentleman comes over and is there confusion? And I said, well, I just wanted to add an extra shot of espresso to my Americano. And he's like, Oh, the computer doesn't understand that. And I was like, henceforth, why humanoids do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just like, okay, I guess I don't want a coffee. That as surly as the baristas can be, you know, they understand. Yeah, they get it. <laughs> you know, you know, it's a, it, it was an interesting experience. You know, is it, I don't know. You know, it's like cars, making cars was replaced by robots. Right. Right. Dr- drivers are about to be replaced by robots. That you know? scares me. Yeah. It scares me too. I'm like, I'm not bringing my kid into one of those things, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like what the hell, man? What is what is the next direction? But this town is this town especially is like at the forefront of weird, uncharted territory in terms of like where the rest of the country could be headed in five or ten years. You know, in terms of like, do you think this that San Francisco is the catalyst for what happens elsewhere? No, I mean like minimum wage hikes, uh, actually providing healthcare. You know, like it's one thing for it to happen in a in a place like California that's progressive. But like what happens when that hits Idaho or like North Dakota or something like that, you know, and like the kid who's working the country club job, you know, now you have to pay him 15 bucks an hour and give him healthcare and things like that. Things that workers should have, you know, Um, and, or what happens when the next uh, giant tech company is founded in you know, Missoula, Montana or something like that. And rents there go through the roof. I just, I wonder what we're going to see uh, and how we're going to adapt to all of the different challenges, you know, cause it's happening here right now and we have to deal with it now. And, you know, LA, Seattle. Um, so I'm curious to see where we go, you know, and I don't have a good answer for it. I don't think any of us have a good answer. So, do you have any regrets? Um, I'm, where, where do you want to start? Oh, come on. You know what I mean. Uh, in terms of my career? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, where, where I look at where I am now, I'm good with where I am now, you know, and uh, my cooking career isn't over by any measure, you know, and that I have this other skill I can draw on in terms of like writing and things like that. Uh, I'm eternally grateful for that. Never went to college, you know, just kind of figured it out. Um, do I have regrets? My main regrets are that I didn't, that I think I could have worked even harder and pushed myself even harder and made my food even better back in the Hoppa days. Um, and we pushed really hard. We really did. But I think a lot of times I just had blinders on, you know, being like, we're 
the pioneers and we're the best and we're doing everything right. And I should have been asking more questions and, uh, and trying to be, trying to use more logic in the decisions I made in the kitchen because I, I I'll, I'll be sitting there now and I'll be like, Oh fuck man. Like we should have used, you know, like a really potent dashi broth as the brine to make our noodles, you know, or, um, you know, like, like we could have incorporated some sort of like acid into the brine to make the noodles. And then we could have adjusted with this, you know, prod this alkaline to like adjust the pH. So they turn out right. Like I'll sit there and like go back and forth with ideas like that. And I'll be like, why didn't I do that back then? You know, this is not where my head was at. So in terms of stuff like that, I have regrets. Um, and do I regret partnering with that dude? For sure. For sure. Um, but even then I can look at it and be like, on the surface, it seemed like a, it seemed fine. Everything seemed fine. Everyone got along, you know, um, he talked a good game in terms of like what we were going to do in, in terms of like getting this restaurant open and then rolling out other locations and stuff like that. So, um, ultimately small regrets. Yes. Big regrets. No, if that makes sense. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's valid. And I think, you know, we, like you said earlier, we live and learn from what we either consider a mistake or, and sometimes the best, some of the best things in the world were created by making a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I have plenty of regrets myself. So, you know, I've done a lot of dumb shit. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> I'll be I, the first person to admit <laughs> it. Like I'm not, I'm not unhappy with the way things have turned out for me. You know, it could have gone. You shouldn't be in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it could have gone. It could have gone a lot worse. Dude, your kids are rad. You're doing what you believe in. You know, you're speaking up. You're, you know, you've always just you've been Richie. I can come over here and do stuff like this with you. <laughs> you know, and still make it home in time to hang out with the kids. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. So, I do this a lot. Red or white. <sighs> I mean, I'd probably get a glass of rosé, you know? I love it. Okay. Beer or tequila? Uh, beer. What kind? Uh, I like Anchor Steam a lot. I like the regular steam beer, and I like the Liberty Ale a lot. Liberty and Ale, it, first big IPA to come it, out. Right. And every now and again, I'll get the California I, or the California Lager, depending. But tequila, I, I love tequila. I love a good margarita, but it just doesn't... Love you? Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like bourbon, I can fucking drink bourbon all day, but tequila, man, just it, you know what it does? It like just shuts off part of my brain. So, oh, it lets the stupid come out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty common with tequila. Yeah. Beef or pork. <sighs> that's hard. Uh, that's really hard. You can think about it. Okay. How about nigiri or sashimi? Uh, definitely nigiri. Cause I want to taste the rice. That's I keep hearing that a lot. That's interesting. I want to, I want to taste the rice. Yeah. Sake, soju. Oh, sake. All the way. <laughs> One time. Unless you're karaoke, then it's soju all the way. <laughs> the worst hangover I've ever had in my life was some soju. Um, back when Sebo was open, Mike Black came over to my house and I made dinner and he brought three bottles of soju. Oh. Yeah. And just started pouring it. And I was like, this stuff goes down like, like nothing. Yeah. That's you know? the problem. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And I woke up the next day and I felt like I had like knives stabbed into my head and I had to go into work <laughs> at Nopa the next day. I thought like worst hangover I've ever had. Oh my God. Yeah. Hot dog or hamburger? Hamburger. Pepperoni or cheese? Cheese. Cheese. And that's only changed recently because just the pepperonis like too salty for me. I just like the, I like the, the straightforward, the straightforward cheese, yeah. Okay. Soba or udon? Uh, I'm going to go with soba because I think it's more versatile. I just like cold soba. It's a yeah. Dip. I think it's my favorite. Cold soba with like, you know, tempura yeah. uh, is great. But also you can, you know, you can heat up the soba too. You know, yeah. you dip it in like in hot, in hot dipping sauce. So, yeah. So what's next uh, for you? I'm gonna uh, book is the next thing. Awesome. Yeah, that's Very the next cool. thing, and it's not gonna be the kind of book you think it would be. So. So there will there be comic 
book components to it? There's illustrations. Okay, cool. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, he is a complete comic book nerd. I am, I do love my comic books a lot. <laughs> you had a great one. <laughs> um, yeah, book is the next thing. And I have a childhood friend who's a very talented illustrator. Awesome. I'm working with him. So awesome. Yeah. Reggie, thank you for taking time. I know you're busy. I know you got stuff going on. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to. It's great to catch up and chat and we'll uh we'll chat again soon. I mean, we were sitting here basically doing the podcast before you hit record. <laughs> so. I know. It's like life, you know. Yeah. And that's what the whole point is. And then, you know, this is completely unedited. I don't play around. It's like what happens happens. Yeah. And that to me is more honest and more fun and allows people to be who they are. I had a lot of fun. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.